Amen. Please be seated. How y'all doing? Really? Y'all awake? The first two services were not awake. Some of you might have be thinking, you might be thinking you're at the nine o'clock right now. Anybody thinking that? This is the 1115, in case you didn't forward that clock up uh, for, forward for you. Anyways, Nicodemus, what a great character in the Gospel of John. Bishop Curry, uh, Michael Curry, who's the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, in one of his revival sermons, remarked that Nicodemus must have been a good Episcopalian because he comes to Jesus by night. He doesn't want anyone else to know that he's coming to ask questions of Jesus. He comes to Jesus by night. Now, I feel I can make fun of Episcopalians because I'm a cradle Episcopalian. This is what I was born into. This is what happened to me. There was no other choice in my mind but the Episcopal Church. And I can relate to that because we've been a denomination that has often prided itself in having a lot of the answers or seemingly having a lot of the answers, especially in private. All of us by ourselves know we have it all figured out. And then together, because of our great humility that we have in the Episcopal Church, we don't ever make other people feel inadequate, do we, Kevin? We never call out the priest in the middle of worship, do we, Kevin? Oh, sorry, that's another conversation we just segued into. Anyways, this story from, Nick, uh, from the Gospel of John is, is powerful. Uh, and Nicodemus, just so you can have some redemption around him, will, uh, this is a very transformative moment in his life, this conversation with Jesus. And just to tell you what kind of spoiler alert, he's going to come back towards the end of the Gospel uh, in the daytime, not afraid of who sees him and have a very profound experience of who Jesus is and testify essentially to who Jesus has become to him. And that is really what's at the crux of this story today. Nicodemus is someone who's been inherited and been told as a Pharisee that this is the law, this is the boundary, this is what you have to do. And he has it all sorted out. He thinks he has it all sorted out. And all his authority rests on that reality. But he's obviously struggling because he comes and has this conversation with Jesus. And he does it because he doesn't need the other Pharisees to know and come and and interrupt him from seeking out answers. Now, his questions are kind of funny um, in the fact that, I mean, you get up into this conversation with Jesus. Now, we might laugh at this because we're like, come on, Nicodemus, don't you know who Jesus is? Why would you ask him, can you climb into the mother's womb again? Of course you can't do that, Nicodemus. Come on. You're not that thick. But for him, it's that important. It's that important. He is literally trying to figure out what it means to be born of the Spirit. What does it mean to truly be born from above? And I want to be careful in that. What happens in this exchange with Nicodemus is not Jesus chastising him. It's easy for us to read into that and assume when Jesus says to him, you can't understand earthly things. How are you going to understand heavenly things? That's more emphasis on that the emphasis on that particular statement from Jesus is more about Nicodemus if you can't move beyond what you feel you can control and live into something that's not that controllable by you that you are a participant in this kingdom how are you going to get that if you want to hold on so tightly to what you know right we're all about control and the more I think about it uh, the last couple sermons I've preached I feel like I've been preaching on control Uh, Maybe that's a sermon for myself. Um, 
We won't disclose that right here, right now. So don't, don't get your hopes up. Uh, but that's part of what's at the crux of the gospel narrative. And, and Lent is a time where we're kind of thrust into that reality of truly looking in the mirror and looking at ourselves and, and being honest about who we are in God's eyes. And more importantly, being honest about who God calls us to be. What does it really mean to come and see Jesus as we do every Sunday here around this altar and then to go out and testify? What does that really look like in our lives? And inside this gospel story with the great image of Nicodemus and these wonderful conversation with Jesus, then you're thrust into John 3.16, the most quoted piece of scripture in all of human history, I think, or at least the modern era. I mean, sometimes you'll see it on a cap and it'll just say three colon 16. Now I'm going to be honest with you. I think there's a lot of people in this day and age who probably see that and are looking at that individual going, what's going to happen in three minutes and 16 seconds? And really, without the John, it may not click the way it clicks for us. Like, what's going to happen in three minutes and 16 seconds? But that piece of scripture is very beautifully written. But in order for it to really make sense, you have to read 17 through 19 and go a little further and really understand what John's doing there. And what Jesus is talking about and what John is alluding to is the fact that God entered into human history not in this beautiful serenity, this beautiful garden of Eden that's perfect and wonderful and everybody's behaving. God entered into the muck of human history. The world was already blinded by its own biases, its own willing, its own need to control. And that is exactly where Jesus lands. So in other words, one might say the world had already condemned itself because it couldn't get outside of itself to be in a proper relationship with each other and with God. And it took the person of Jesus to break into that fabric, to rip that fabric, to come into that space and show us a new way of understanding the law and relationship and relationships with each other. And that is exactly what Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to see when he talks about things of this earth and things of of heaven. What does it mean to live by the spirit? What truly means to move beyond the self into the selfless? to look at those things that hold us back from going where God calls us to go, that image of the wind to Nicodemus would have been terrifying. Because we have to remember, they didn't have the weather channel back then. They didn't have the study of meteorology at all. I mean, that might come as a shock to you, but they didn't have that. There wasn't the National Weather Service of Israel was not in a place yet. Um, So the wind was a very scary thing. And historically, the wind almost as bad as the water Water was a very scary thing. And remember at the beginning of creation, God moved over the water and then the wind starts. Both of those things were always seen as uncontrollable. Very scary. Sometimes the wind would blow, it would feel great on a hot day, and then other times it would destroy. And for the people in Nicodemus' time, the wind was not something you, you wanted to think about. And that is exactly where God plants the spirit. And he says to Nicodemus, God's going to blow you. The spirit's going to blow you wherever it wants. Now, the question I think for us today to consider is how willing are we to allow God to blow us wherever God needs us in this kingdom, in the work of of testifying to who God is? How willing are we to do that? Or are we like the engineers at this house I'm building that I was walking through, uh, finally getting sheetrock, which is a really good thing, but that's neither here nor there. We're, We're moving along. But I noticed inside the walls, they had added a few things because 
uh, uh, Travis County had changed its wind codes uh, for, the, for the high velocity of wind. And I noticed these big anchor bolts on some of our uh, exterior walls, big old things down in our foundation that were fairly new. And I thought to myself when I was looking at those, how many of us, when we live by the Spirit and we say we want to go and testify to who Jesus is, how many of us take those bolts and glue our feet down and look at God and say, I'll go wherever you lead me except there. I'm going to anchor myself down. You can send a Category 5 hurricane of the Spirit, and I'm staying right here. I ain't moving. Right? We all wrestle with that, that reality. We all struggle with where God may call us to go because we want to control. We want to know everything. We all struggle with that reality. I was talking to one of my colleagues um, this week who, who was getting ready to celebrate it. Well, coming up in May, he's going to celebrate his anniversary, but we were talking about his wedding. I don't actually know why we were talking about his wedding, but it was a great metaphor. So they got married the second week in May, about 15 years ago. It'd be 15 years ago this May. And the week leading up to the wedding, it was 78, 80 degrees. Saturday morning, guess what it was? 42 degrees, rainy and windy. And this was supposed to be an outdoor wedding, and the dresses that the bridesmaids were going to wear were, uh, were not necessarily revealing, but they were not. Uh, one might use more fabric if you knew you were going to be cold uh, <laughs> around the shoulders. Uh, and they didn't have any of that, any of the shawls or the covers like we had at our wedding in December. We knew it was going to be cold, and part of our wedding was outdoors, and we knew it was going to be cold. So the dresses they picked out for that time of year made sense for December. It was, and actually, ours ended up being hot, but that's neither here nor there. But we were ready for that. They were not. So here they are on their wedding day. They didn't want to see each other, so they're talking on the phone. And what was happening all around them is people realized they couldn't control the weather. And all these guests had traveled in from so far away that everybody just rolled their sleeves up. And they took all the decorations that they had set up outside and moved it to a part of, of the building inside and created the most beautiful wedding day. And this priest to this day and his wife say, why didn't we just do our wedding that way to begin with? Not because of the weather, but because of how powerful it was to everybody participated in these two coming together to become one flesh and the love that they had for one another. All these guests rolled their sleeves up and didn't focus on what they couldn't control, didn't sulk, said, you know what? We can respond. We can do something and we can trust that this is going to be okay. And that's what they did. And it was the most beautiful day. Now, we might all say that about our weddings, but he really thinks his was the most beautiful wedding of all human history was that wedding. <laughs> but there's some power in that because they did come together. When I look around this room, I see a group of people who have an ability to come together and let God move us wherever God calls us. Maybe it's to a place we didn't want to go. Maybe it's to a group of people we don't agree with. Maybe it's out there to, on the side of 35 with those who are hungry, those who are camping in tents. Maybe it's out into Steiner Ranch to families that are struggling to make ends meet, that are struggling with the pressures of life. Maybe it's, it's just right out here to 620 to pass out coffee. Maybe it's to the Travis County Sheriff's Department to give support to them. God can blow us so many different places if we let God do that. But in order to really move, in order to open our wings and fly, we have to do the work of cultivating God in our life. 
we have to do is Jesus says, move from earthly things to heavenly things. Not We have to move from the place of believing we can't make a difference to the place where it says with God's help and with each other, we can do anything. It's a fundamental shift that Jesus is inviting Nicodemus and us to consider is how can we participate in the body of the faithful? How do we move beyond ourselves to that bigger conversation that is God and God at live in our lives? How do we get out of our own way? What are those things that we hold on to that we think we just have them figured out? What mountain do we climb up of our self-righteousness that says, I have all the answers, and I look down at everybody else and say, ha-ha, you got it wrong, folks, and don't even realize the mountain I'm standing on is crumbling right, below, right beneath my feet. What are those things that we need to let go of? That is what Lent is about, so that we can truly embody Jesus, that we can truly follow a God who loves us, a God who enters into the chaos to show us light and life. As I invited you to consider a Holy Lent just a week and a half ago, I, can, I encourage you to continue that journey, to look at your lives, to reflect on how God can become alive in you again and anew as we journey these days together. And don't just imagine by yourself, imagine in community. Those of you who are in your Lean In for Lent groups, now I know there's been, just to tie all this in a pretty bow, those of you who are participating in those groups, I know there's been a lot of talk about the program. What's the program? Well, next time you ask that question, look in the mirror because you're the program. The program is the relationships. We live in a world that doesn't value just truly getting to know one another. And that is what Lent's all about. Come and get to know one another. Come and and see who God is in somebody else. Come and be with God in this time and place together. That is what it's all about. Because when we're together and truly knowing who God might be, that is when we find life, and that is when we find hope, and that is where we become testifiers to a God who loves us. Amen. stand and join with me in saying the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth.